It's not been a great week for German coaches. Thomas Tuchel was chucked by Chelsea. Domenico Tedesco was launched by Leipzig. And Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool had a nightmare in Naples. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. Here to pick their way through the Teutonic tumult is our top tipping team, including Mark O'Hare. Mark, let's start with Chelsea's decision to get rid of Thomas Tuchel. Seems increasingly clear that this wasn't just about results and there was a growing rift between Tuchel and the club's new supremo, Todd Bowley. Performances on the pitch had flatlined. There's no question about that. They were awful against Dinamo Zagreb in the Champions League. But the timing... You wait until the transfer window's shut and then you act. That does seem a bit crazy. Yeah, I mean, not many things in football um, surprise me these days, but that did uh, on Wednesday morning. I can certainly see the reasons why they've made the move, but I guess in hindsight, it's probably not a huge surprise because, as you say, they've been way below their levels. Uh, but we know that they're capable of under Thomas Tuchel in those first six months when they won the Champions League. Uh, the performance in Zagreb was horrendous and they've flattered to deceive at Stamford Bridge for quite a long time. They were outplayed and outworked by by Leeds and Southampton. Uh, it's been pretty poor in terms of quality and performance levels for a, ti- for a team with title ambitions. But I guess there has been mitigating circumstances around Chelsea for, for quite some time with the Abramovich distractions, the takeover last season, the, the shaping of a new squad, the bedding in of a load of new players as well. So... Um, I know they've they've said that they were going to go in this direction regardless of, of the result against Dinamo and regardless of the progress, but I don't necessarily agree with that, to be honest. Um, I know there probably has been fallouts and issues behind the scenes, and Thomas Tuchel, as we know, is an abrasive character. We've seen this in his previous roles, but you know, are they really going to remove a Champions League winning coach if Chelsea have started the season with a 100% record and, and wipe the floor of Dinamo midweek? I, I disagree. I think they would stay with him. So... Uh, to me, it doesn't make a huge amount of sense because Tuchel has been part of recruitment this summer in terms of targeting key players and, and sort of turning away other personnel who he didn't want to sign. Well, that's so- a really important point, Mark, because it does seem as though one of the issues was Todd Bowley went, oh, what about Cristiano Ronaldo? And Tuchel went, no, no, we don't want Cristiano Ronaldo. And he went, well, why? Give me the reasons. And I know he's your boss, and if your line manager asks you to do something in any organisation, you've kind of got to say yes. But if you know anything about Thomas Tuchel, you know that that's the kind of thing that's going to drive him up the wall. So they've allowed him to veto the Cristiano Ronaldo deal, which I completely agree with and completely understand. Also set the tone in terms of who they were going to bring in. And then once they've done that, I've said, right, you can go now. It doesn't make any sense at all. And one wonders whether Todd Bowley, obviously a very successful guy, has run sports organisations before, but he doesn't really know anything about football, does he? Let's be honest. And so it does seem a bit groping around in the dark, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, and that's my issue, really. Like, if you're you're looking for uh, reasons to sack Thomas Tuchel, there are plenty of reasons based on performance levels and where we're going. We don't know the full story behind the scenes, but we know what he's like. So we're not too surprised if there has been issues behind the scenes. But in terms of football, um, he's clearly in a much more, or he should be in a stronger position of power to make important calls um, for the first team compared to Todd Bowley. So um, just the timing for me is is what's quite bizarre, really. So I, I disagree with their sentiment, but this was the direction that they were going in regardless of what's been happening. I, I disagree with that because I just think if, if on-field progress was was there, we'd probably see Tuchel last until at least the international break. But there we go. Um, you know, his record with Chelsea is, is pretty remarkable really he's reached finals in five in four or five cup competitions uh, he's reached the final of the Champions League in two of the last three seasons he's reached eight finals across nine cup competitions over his last two jobs as well so you know he stopped Man City winning the quadruple he was undefeated in five games against Liverpool um, his team conceded one goal in four cup finals you know there's so many different stats kind of going for him here but ultimately we've all seen with our own eyes that progress has been limited at best and in fact Chelsea have probably regressed uh, over the past six months or so things have not looked quite right on the field for for quite some time so in footballing terms I can kind of understand it but you know the next step is is crucial really and we see Graham Potter's agreed terms now and uh, 
you know, I'm just surprised Chelsea have gone down that route. Um, it doesn't feel like a Chelsea appointment for me. And look, I'm one of Crane Potter's biggest fans. It doesn't feel fashionable enough or A-list enough, I thought, to, to be considered when someone like Pochettino is available. So it's refreshing that they've gone down this route. I just wonder if they're going to give him enough time to make things work at Chelsea. And that's, I'm sure everyone's going to bring up the same issue. But look, Brighton weren't an overnight success when Graham Potter took charge. No. Swansea weren't either. It's going to take time to, to get the best out of Chelsea in, in this squad with him as him at the helm. And, and also, you've got to bear in mind that everything at Brighton, everything has been tiered towards him and geared in his favour. It's a one-of-a-kind club in that regard. Like Everything is is set up to be allow him to be a success. You know, that is a, this is a huge move away from that sort of stability. There's massive demands, massive expectations, massive egos to deal with. Um, I just hope it works out for him because he's a, he's a nice, or he seems to be a nice guy. He's got you know, he's worked his way up from from the bottom of the ladder to, to be in this position. Um, and I just wonder, you know, he can't turn this opportunity down. Of course he can't. But I just wonder whether if he did sort of stick things out with Brighton until January, he might be the England coach in, in 2023. But, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Um, I wouldn't be too surprised if he's been removed from Chelsea manager in the next 12 months. It's one of those things with Graham Potter. If you found out that behind the scenes actually wasn't nice, it'd be like finding out that Santa doesn't exist. It's like, he must be. He has to be nice. He can't be that good an actor all the time. Well, uh, I would Master- say he, he doesn't seem... Um, he, he smartened his act up in terms of what he's trying to wear on, on the on the sidelines this season. He just doesn't seem to suit what he's wearing. Uh, I much prefer him kind of <laughs> being that kind of rugged guy in a tracksuit and just kind of rolling around. But yeah, I, I don't know. It doesn't seem to fit to fit with me really when him wearing sort of a suit jacket and shirt but there we go so there we would go we've learned something about mark o'hare he likes his managers rugged in a tracksuit and rolling around uh master of the sustainable edge trader and tipster mark stinchcombe is here stinch we've talked about graham potter but i think it is relevant what mark says about it's quite jarring if chelsea are going to change the culture that's fine. If they're going to say, look, this is a project, you've got years, if it doesn't work out initially, fine. The players then learn that actually they don't hold the power and the manager does because that hasn't been the case at Chelsea for a long, long time. And it's kind of been successful that way, in fairness. If they do all that, great. But if they don't, the transfer window shut. He's now got a game every few days. There's no time really to get on the training ground and do any serious work on shape. It's all going to be recovery and kind of, you know, a few things here and there. But it does seem weird, the timing of it, doesn't it? I wouldn't say weird because everything Chelsea have done at this this transfer window hasn't been logical in my mind. So it's no surprise in a way. Um, I don't see it working out because I feel like his minimum requirement is essentially to be the third best team in the league which is, I'd say, a difficult enough task given the fact they seem to have sold all their strikers. And then you've got the likes of Spurs, Arsenal, potentially Man United that that will be challenging for the third best team in the league. Um, If he does anything worse than the third best team in the league, immediately people will be calling for his head. So I, I, he's good I, enough, though, isn't he? As a as a pure coach himself, if you were saying is he good enough for Chelsea, I'd probably say yes. But it's just all of, like, for example, if Liverpool, it's not going to happen. But if Liverpool party company with Klopp, or if City party company with Guardiola for whatever reason, and Potter went to either of those, you'd go, yeah, that's a smart hire. That makes a lot of sense. This because of Chelsea's almost unique setup doesn't feel like a fit. Is that fair? Toxic setup, maybe. You know, they've been like this way for years. I remember when Mourinho left the first time, it was because they drew 1-1 at home to Rosenberg in uh, in September in front of a half-full Stamford Bridge. You know, the Chelsea fans, the Chelsea players, I don't think they're all going to buy into, into Graham Potter, unfortunately for him. And um, it's very difficult, I think, to to make... To make money, but I would be looking at Potter as next manager to leave in in the sack race on a regular basis over the next few months. Because um, I, I don't I don't see him being given the time. I don't think the egos at Chelsea will will allow him to you know let's say finish eighth or something. You know how how Klopp has finished in eighth, Arteta's finished in eighth. Not saying eighth specifically, but you know that middle section of of the Premier yeah. League. I don't think I don't think they'll allow him to happen that that to happen. 
they're already you know slightly under pressure in the Champions League having lost to arguably the worst team in the group albeit fortunate perhaps that Salzburg and Milan drew in the other games so they're not um, already like two points behind so three points behind the the leader um, and I just think uh, maybe to kind of round round it all off like they've just lost Chelsea Billy Gilmore to Brighton now that Chelsea central midfield I think is is a problem you've got Jorginho and uh, N'Golo Kante that are aging and, and injury prone and somebody somebody like Billy Gilmore I think is prime for a new manager to come in and not build the team around him but make him a, a big part of what's of what's going on there so um, you can't tell me that Chelsea's plan under Todd at the beginning of the window was to ship out Werner and Lukaku and bring in Aubameyang in the last few seconds of the of the deadline day. So, yeah, I think there's plenty of problems there, and it, I I think it doesn't make sense to. I mean, most most teams it doesn't make sense to be making the move one week after the transfer window is closed, making the move to a team that your job is not stable in at all. To me, it doesn't make sense at all. I know it's a massive massive potential job for Potter but Potter standing within the game is huge I, I think yeah. next, come, come next summer he could almost have the pick of you know he could even maybe go abroad or something um, expand his horizons or Mark made a good point about the England job even like I don't think he, he'll be struggling for offers so I, I given Brighton start to the season they've got a fantastic platform to to build from um, so yeah I, I don't think he should should do it but um, you know it, it, being offered a big job is, is something that's uh, very difficult to turn down regardless of who it is. Fascinating to see how it turns out. Betfair tipster and trader Emmett O'Keefe is with us. Emmett, just to change angles slightly, let's talk about Liverpool because you suggested on our Champions League show midweek that they would struggle in Naples. I laid them at evens on my preview of the game for betting.betfair.com. But I don't think either of us envisaged just how bad Liverpool would be, especially in that first half. They were hammered 4-1. It's no exaggeration at all to say it could have been 6 or 7 in that game. The first half as bad as I've seen them. But is this a blip that's largely driven by injuries and the hangover from playing every game that it was possible to play last season? Or are we looking at something a bit more deep-rooted and serious? Um, I think we can't we can't kind of say with certainty either way, but just to kind of to, why kind of just 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 for why last game was significant, just give it a bit of context. So last week, obviously, like a lot of the listeners would have watched the United v Arsenal game. Obviously, Arsenal would have dominated the game for long stretches until the last twenty minutes with after Mikel Arteta's ill-fated substitutions. But then you look at the end of the game, you see the XG figures. Arsenal lose by two goals. On the XG figures, they slightly edge it. So an Arsenal fan can justifiably say it was a close game for long stretches. We, 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 we could have won, we could have lost, but, but losing doesn't mean, doesn't kind of give any kind of indicator that we're going to struggle this season. It's 38 games. Football is a random sport. These things can happen. When you go to last night, Liverpool conceded 4.8 expected goals. Now, like for a bit of context, only one team in the Premier League last season scored over three expected goals against Liverpool. That was Brentford. No team has scored over four expected goals in the Premier League since Jurgen Klopp arrived at the club. Like that is an enormous, enormous figure, which, which obviously kind of as, which kind of suggests a lot of the time when t- even in the listeners might remember when Aston Villa beat Liverpool seven three um, a couple of seasons ago. Aston Villa, again, Aston Villa had the better of the game, but they only had 3.36 XG. There was deflected goals, and it was, it was yeah, one of those games. It was games a weird they, game, that was. It was a weird really game, exactly. Game. Where exactly, whereas the kind of the scoreline probably flat, flattered Villa. Like the, last night, the 4-1 scoreline flat, flattered Liverpool. This was, this, was, this, was, this was a really concerning display. And there's kind of, there are obvious kind of solutions in terms of personnel. So obviously Joe, Joe Gomez obviously did a terrible game last night, but and if you bring Joel Mapp in, that'll improve the defence. If you bring Thiago into midfield for James Milner, that, that that will obviously improve things. But I guess what I would say would be just when Virgil, the, the, my, kind of my biggest question about Liverpool's ability to really compete at the top top table of European football is, is Virgil van Dijk. Because when Virgil van Dijk arrived at the club, 
he, he, he turned a mediocre defence that was the reason Liverpool weren't competing with the Premier League into Europe's best defence. Alisson obviously played a part in that, but to me, Van Dijk was the most important factor. Last season, after his knee injury, I think we saw a bit of slippage in the sense that I thought Van Dijk pre-injury was the best centre-half I'd ever seen. I think he was a 10 out of 10 footballer and a, a, play, a, playmaker, a playmaker on the ball and and kind of, and, and, and without the ball, the, the best defender in the world. Last season, I thought he was more of a kind of a, still probably the best defender in the Premier League, but more of a kind of a, we'll say, eight, eight and a half out of 10 level. But now that level is like has dropped, has dropped again. I know, again, the caveat of, not having his kind of regular center half partners there, but I think there's something a bit more. There's there's something more to it than that. He's 31 years of age. He's coming off the back of a serious knee surgery. It may be that we're going to a different. It may be a bad run of games. Maybe he'll recover his form. But just if Virgil, if this is a different phase of Virgil Van Dijk's career, and he's no longer a world world class centre half, that just changes the ceiling of this team. Like there's so much of their success was built on Van Dijk, and like that that high press, the kind of condensing your team into 30 yards yeah. of the pitch is built on the fact that Virgil van Dijk can make the recovery runs back when 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 you lose the ball like he 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 made he made he made Liverpool's system go Liverpool fans will remember what it was like before before van Dijk came they were kind of a helter skelter team obviously they they had the kind of great runs in Europe they weren't a serious team at the top table of European football so i think like whether van Dijk can kind of get back to even last season's form to me is the biggest question question other things i think only the liverpool kind of keyboard warriors would question whether trent alexander arnold has kind of defensive issues i think he does but i go over this you'd hope over the season the attacking output he'd give you would kind of outweigh the kind of defensive negatives to me the biggest question the, the, the biggest question by far it, it, is van dyke whether he, whether he can recover his form it will, will, will really kind of is the most important factor whether liverpool can kind of get back to the levels of previous years well, let's throw that forward sorry. to the Wolves. Oh, sorry, Stinch, go on. Sorry, Kev, I was just going to say quickly, and I think this could apply to a lot of players that maybe something to keep an eye on. If Van Dijk is, is at question, maybe he's saving himself for the World Cup. You know, never played at a major tournament, missed the Euros before because of that horrendous injury from, from Pickford. You know, maybe he's not engaging himself as much into challenges and into, you know, even like sprinting and things like that just because he's worried about picking up injuries ahead of a, a World Cup. You know, it's the pinnacle of a player's career. Can play? I, I take that point on board completely, but can players now, I think back in the day you might have got away with that, but now... They've got GPS. They're looking at every movement you make. If they've if they've got it on a on a tablet and going, uh, Virgil, we, we've just looked at your figures compared to what we normally get. That'd soon get rooted out by Klopp, wouldn't it? I don't think he'd drop him though, would he? Maybe just have a quiet word. No, that's true. And, and maybe I don't think it's Klopp does quiet words, does he? <laughs> maybe it's something. If you play for a team that has lots of possession, it's easy to hide those stats of being yeah, able to rest. Yeah, that's fair. I don't That's know. Fair. It's just something that, you know, one of these unknowns, we've talked about it a lot, but it's a season like no other. So yes. we might see a lot of volatility. So it's just something to bear in mind. Well, I think when we get to within a few weeks of the World Cup, then you are going to start seeing, oh, oh, I think I've just got a bit of an injury and I might not play this weekend. I think you might start seeing a bit of that. Uh, Emmett, looking at Liverpool against Wolves then, Wolves every week seem to play well and not get the win. Um they caused Liverpool on that final day of last season a bit of a problem early on in transition, scored a very good early goal in that game. Liverpool got there in the end, not that it mattered. But Wolves are awkward opponents for Liverpool, I think, in this game. They are. I do feel sorry for Wolves in the sense that like, they, I, you've seen more of them than me, but I just want the numbers. The Kalazic, the striker they signed, seemed like quite oh, a good signing. I'm gutted yeah. for him. I'm I'm honestly devastated for him because he seems like such a nice guy. He's had a couple of really serious injuries. Before he started scoring a load of goals for Stuttgart, actually he had a serious knee injury. And then he had a brilliant season. And then I think he did his shoulder. He had a shoulder problem. And that kept him out for a while. He came back at the end of last season scoring goals. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a really good move for him to Wolves. I think he'll score goals for them. Pressure's not quite as high as it might have been if he'd gone to Man United or something like that. And for him to get a knee injury that serious on the very first game, I just feel so sorry. for. I feel sorry for any player that happens to, but him particularly with his history. I, I think that's real a real setback. Yeah, I guess the only slight consolation is the least he got a 
at least you got kind of an improved terms, presumably foam walls, but before the injury, because that's the only slight thing you can say. But yeah, it, it is devastating. Just, I just I noticed on his FB ref figures, like his assist is like assist for a guy who's six foot seven. His assist kind of expected assist numbers are really really good. Like he yeah he, he was he was I was just waiting for the first commentator to be like, oh he's great feet for a big man. That was yeah. kind of an, <laughs> I've a, said a, that a, about six yeah, times yeah, about yeah. him already. He's, he's the the kind of Austrian Peter Crouch, I guess. Yeah, as right. well. I think like that was kind of he. I think Raúl Jiménez, I think pre-serious injury himself, was that player who was really yeah. kind of clever and kind of linking big man, and just without. I think with Jiménez, Jiménez kind of a diminished force, and Kladzic obviously out for long term. I think it it all signs point to pretty Wolves being a relegation battle and not and kind of just struggling struggling for goals all season and that's kind of that's my big kind of yeah like given Liverpool's form you kind of want to take them on and even even with Wolves struggles in front of goal I wouldn't recommend putting Liverpool any kind of weekend weekend accumulators but even I could see this probably being kind of an unconvincing kind of Liverpool win maybe just the bet that stood out is the one Liverpool player I think has been a shining light this season has clearly been Luis Diaz I think yeah. he, he's possibly he, he looks to probably a bit more hunger and kind of drive than, than than his teammates at the moment and he really kind of raged against the dying of the light last side in a very impressive fashion and and, and like even like he was he, getting getting his head on the end of balls trying to score he was just yeah he, he wasn't going to accept he wasn't going to accept Napoli blown by Liverpool that was very impressive and it just he scored three goals in his first six league matches he scored again last night and again the Liverpool should dominate and are such a short price to win six to four and any time seems 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 pretty That's fair to big, isn't it? yeah he's the biggest price of all Liverpool's forwards and just the way Liverpool are set up especially this year Mo Salah is playing more of a kind of facilitator role it's early in the season but he's the most Salah's the most kind of key passes in the league and he's far better assist numbers than Diaz so I think you, you, you're more likely to see kind of Salah maybe not being as kind of getting quite the kind of dangerous positions as he has in years past and hopefully setting up Diaz for a few chances so that's the bet I like here Brenda Rogers and Stephen Gerrard under pressure. Leicester face Aston Villa on Saturday. The Foxes, the 2.56 favourites here. Stinch, uh, I've done a couple of Leicester games this season. They were all over the place in that 5-2 defeat at Brighton. And there are so many decisions by Rogers. I just don't understand. Wilfred and Didi at centre-back, you weaken the midfield because he's not in it. And you weaken the defence because indeed he isn't a centre-back. So I know he's desperate not to play Chalas Soyuncu at any stage, but it's a completely unsatisfactory situation. And Leicester fans are starting to get really hacked off with the way this season is going. It's not good at all, is it really? Yeah, if you ever wanted an example of why you should play, if even if the player's lesser of ability, but they can play in the position, is Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool when he had no defenders and he resorted to the likes of Jordan Henderson and Fabinho in defence yeah. and was losing game after game at Anfield. Brings in Nat Phillips and Rhys Williams, who are genuine defenders, and all of a sudden, unbeaten, run, and uh, managing to finish uh, third in the league in the end. So, you know, that... And that's that's elite level football over, and that's a long spread of games. For me, it makes no sense. I don't. It's a bit of a tangent, but I don't understand why Arteta is playing Ben White at right back and Zinchenko at left back. You know, as a centre back and a, and a central midfielder, when there are options available to to play. Zinchenko is a bit of a weird one, isn't he? Because he's almost a bit of a unicorn because he's done so much stuff with City in that kind of inverted role. And I think, I feel like Arteta is trying to head in that direction as well, that kind of Guardiola idea of them playing in that position. But Ben White, I get completely because he's centre-back. I know he can play, but he is a centre-back. And you do see this a lot. I I talk to ex-players about that difference between centre-back and defensive midfield. And they'll tell you, they are totally different positions. Like what is required of you, positioning. Yes, you can kick the ball away and head the ball away and tackle and all that stuff. But the, the positional requirements are completely different. Yeah, especially if you're playing for a proactive team. Like, for example, I see last week Ben Wright making an overlapping run for, for Saka. And it's like, I bet in Saka's mind is like... I don't know if this guy can cross. Like, I'm not, you know, why, why would I risk maybe playing that ball when I could shoot or, or maybe uh, cross even myself? So, yeah, I don't understand this playing, playing players out of position unless you're totally desperate. But even then, I think a lot of these Premier League teams have got fantastic academies. There's probably a kid in yes. there that could do a fantastic job uh, instead. 
and, and keeps the fluidity of the team. So yeah, uh, you're right. Uh, I watched Leicester as well against uh, Man United, and even after Man United scored, Man United just sat back, and, and Leicester really did nothing. They they just looked so uncohesive. Um, Villa as well, to be fair, like not as an extreme, but you know Gerard is kind of getting away with it a bit. I think you know it's a hell of an investment they've had there. Um, so yeah, I just think both of the you don't want to be back in either of these teams in the match odds, to be honest. And I just think just looking at goals, um, over two and a half goals around about one point nine three. I think that's pretty 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 generous, to be honest. Both both teams seeing lots of goals in their games. Um, Leicester's 13 of their last 17 have seen over two and a half goals. Uh, 17 of Villa's last 26. And you look at Villa away from home, seven of the last nine. So, and they've conceded at least two goals in six of the last eight away. So very porous. Um, a bit like Leicester themselves with with a goalkeeper like Danny Ward in goal, which I mean I've got written down here. Danny Ward is rubbish. Um, I think that's maybe generous. Um, <laughs> is, that, is that your uh, esteemed analysis of Danny Ward? <laughs> Danny Ward is rubbish. Well, I was watching him. I was watching him against. It was one of the earlier games this season. I think it was against Arsenal actually uh, when they lost four two. And I think he like missed a cross. Yeah, was a bit weak with the cross. Yeah, and I just thought, oh, you know, maybe a bit unlucky, maybe he's a bit rusty. And then I watched him against Brighton, and you just see him arguing with Ndidi, and Ndidi must be like, what is this guy doing? Like, he just looks... It's almost as if playing without a keeper. It's weird, though, isn't it? Because he was super highly rated at Liverpool. He obviously had some loan spells away. He's played for Wales in some big games, and you kind of felt this was the right moment for him to step up. But replacing Schmeichel, who was such a big character and a good goalkeeper, I suppose it's just pressure because he must be a good goalkeeper technically. You look at it, he must be amazing in training. He must be decent. But pressure does really weird things to goalkeepers, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it might be a combination of a few things. So, for example, Kasper Schmeichel wasn't really sold. I think he left, really, didn't he? So it wasn't as if they go, right, we're promoting Danny Ward, we're selling Kasper Schmeichel. It's kind of like, right, we we can't spend anything, so who have we got left? Yeah. So they promoted Danny Ward. I think the guy, the second goalkeeper who was on loan at Preston last season, is very highly rated as yes. well. So maybe there might have been even some thoughts that he would start instead. Um, he's still quite young. We know goalkeepers tend to you know, have a long uh, shelf life. So he might actually, you know, as he uh, matures, he might actually get better with age. And I just think he's quite rusty. You know, he was signed for like, what, two years ago for about 10, 15 million. Um, and if went you a long time without playing in the Premier League. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. So, yeah, I think I don't, maybe long term he'll be good. But um, I just thought I'd see if my eyes aligned with the data. And yeah, no surprise. He's bottom of the uh, post shot expected goal data with a with a really bad minus 4.4. You know, so that says he's conceded over four more goals than he should have. And generally, for context, that, that number is, is normally around about zero. This sort of yeah. average or median is, is normally around about uh, zero. I mean, you you look at, which means you're performing to your ability so or, or the expectations I should say so yeah uh, very very un- underwhelming so yeah I just thought over two and a half goals both teams to score is just uh, eight to 13 so I thought over two and a half goals at nearly evens I don't think we think I don't think we think if we get to a point in the game that it's 1-1 that there won't that there probably won't be any more attacking the potential for more goals so yeah rinse and repeat Leicester overs is back Yes, I think both teams actually will look at that and think this is a game we can win. So if it is level, you'd expect them to push on. Mark, is that the way you would go as well with goals? Yep, it is because the price is is really quite attractive, actually. Um, Leicester have conceded 16 goals already this season, which is quite something. Um, I know we've sort of panned them for quite some time, particularly this season, because of the inability to defend systematically or even individually. But I think it probably is worth saying they have had a a reasonably tough schedule so far. They've played three big six teams as well as Brighton. So, you know, it's it's more difficult than most. And I thought, despite defensively being a complete shambles at Brighton, I I was pleased that Rodgers dropped Vardy and went with Iheanacho and Dakar. I thought they did reasonably well, um, despite the the situation. Uh, And you compare it with Villa, really, who well actually compare both teams together where where are their major strengths right now that they're absolutely in forward areas in terms of individual quality and ability but where are their weaknesses you've got to say defensively so um, I thought Villa were were fairly fortunate to pick up a point against Man City last weekend had three shots scored with their only shot on target yes they provided a a bit of a threat in in transitions but ultimately the the game came down to Man City not being accurate accurate enough or, or precise enough in the final third because 
They dominated that match, controlled the game, created plenty of half chances, but just couldn't find the right ball or the right finish, really. And that's just football. It happens sometimes. I don't think there's any sort of grand tactical master plan that Gerard pulled off there to get a result. And I wouldn't be too surprised to see them sort of drip back to the ways in which they were performing before then, because unlike Leicester, they've had a, a fairly soft schedule. Four of their first six opponents are currently ranked 12th or below in the Premier League, and they've looked pretty ordinary, particularly defensively. Um, Stincher's already reeled off all the stats containing to sort of goals and, and um, the, the likelihood of a high-scoring game. But yeah, the price implies that we've basically got about a, a 52% chance that we see three goals or more. Uh, and I think all the numbers are, are pretty overwhelming on both sides of the coin for both Leicester and Aston Villa to suggest that goals should be on the agenda. And I think, you know, if this was a... Uh, Stinch talks about it quite a lot, but if this was a, a Bundesliga game, the goal line would not be over two and a half. It would be an over three game. So, yeah, just take, take it while we can because... Um, uh, you know, to get just a, a fraction of evens for uh, over two and a half goals is, is really quite attractive. Well, this football season, get a helping hand with Betfair's popular bet builder. Easily add our most popular or fan favourite football selections to your bet slip with just one tap. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus. See gambleaware.org. Brentford picked up a stirring win over Leeds United last time out as Ivan Tony scored a magnificent hat-trick. They go to Southampton. Stincher was a little surprised to see Saints as short as... 2.4. I thought that might be a little bit more even. Um, yeah, I mean, it suggests that even it suggests Brentford are slightly better the side, and I, I don't. I'm not going to argue too much uh, against it. Um, I have to say, like uh, Ralph Hassan, what a, what a job he's doing there at Southampton. Every season, he he seems to lose his best players and and be left with not a lot of money to spend and having to basically try unproven Premier League players. And yeah, it seems to be doing a great job again already. I mean, yeah. both their wins have come, I mean, against Chelsea and Leicester, two teams, obviously two, two decent teams from last season, both finishing obviously high up in the Premier League. But I think what impressed me the most was they're both um, wins from goal down. They both won nil down in both games yeah. and they showed the the, the mental uh, fortitude to come back. And I think that's something that they, they've been questioned of since they, I think since they won at Spurs, I think it was in February, um, uh, they basically were pretty much guaranteed to be safe in the Premier League. And I think they switched off a bit. Their run to the, was the end of last season, they, they lost a lot of games. But I think that's kind of acceptable. We know we talk about this on the beach thing quite a lot. And I think, you know, players are only human at the end of the day. And I think maybe, as Emmett alluded to earlier, something going on at Liverpool where, where if you've got, managed to get yourself up for 64 games and then you've fallen short in the last two, quite maybe it takes a little bit of time to recover yeah. uh, to get back to that competitive edge again. So yeah, a lot of pressure for Southampton in my mind and also I think a lot of praise for for Thomas Frank at uh, Brentford a lot obviously lost Christian Eriksen I was quite concerned how they replace him we discussed it previously I do like the signs that they've made offensively to to alleviate the the fact they've lost Eriksen and yeah they just they just seem to be carrying on where they where they where they left off and um, yeah so I think positive vibes for, for both teams and I wouldn't really want to pick a winner but again very happy to to back goals. You can get over two and a half goals around about 1.87 on the exchange. Very straightforward. 13 of Southampton's last 18 have seen over two and a half, 72%. 13 of Brentford's last 17 you've, have seen over two and a half, 76%. And we've, we've got a price that's closer to, to 50% essentially if you converted the odds into percentage. And you look at both games last season, the home sides won 4-1 and 3-0. So nothing in my mind points anybody to be backing under two and a half goals. Now, Manchester City face Tottenham in what could be a fascinating clash. Now, we had success with City in a bet builder in our Champions League show. We landed an 11-4 winner as we got City to win against Sevilla, who were awful, by the way. Uh, Haaland to score or assist and Kevin De Bruyne to get an assist. It's worth bearing in mind that you can get a £5 free bet by staking a £5 bet builder on Manchester City against Spurs. T's and C's in the description, 18+. plus. See gambleaware.org. So let's see if we can put a little bet builder together. Who shall I go for first? I'm going to go for Emmett. 
Yeah, I want to do something pro Tottenham here just because my the angle I like here is just it looks like Kyle Walker and John Stones were going to miss the game. And if that happens, like the Man City defence is significantly weakened. You could see the Man City defence this weekend of Cancelo and you signing Sergio Gomez at fullbacks and Ruben Diaz and Nathan Aki at centre-half. And like that wouldn't inspire me massively again the confidence especially given we, we saw last season Spurs, Spurs Spurs won at this stadium last season we know Antonio yeah. Conte can kind of have a team well drilled and have these kind of really good scripted attacking moves where Harry Kane will, will come deep and then suddenly Richarlison Stone and maybe another player will charge forward and, 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 they'll, and they'll spring the trap and against kind of a makeshift city defence I kind of yeah I, I would be yeah, I, I would be hesitant, hesitant back City at their current price of one to three. But just the positive, the Spurs, when I like, because we're not sure about the injury news. So what I like is just Harry Kane. Harry Kane scoring any time. You can get that at, at, at just over two to one at the moment. You don't get over two to one on Harry Kane to score any time in, in many matches. I think this is a game that he, he, might, he, he might get a few chances in. He's in great goal scoring form. Five goals in his first six Premier League matches. Obviously on penalties as well, which I think I think Spurs will, Spurs will be a threat for with their counter-attacking ability. So yeah, start us off Harry Kane scoring any time. Nice chunky start, Mark. Yeah, I've, I was going to put up. Um, I'm very, very similar in terms of my notes on this game as, as Emmett. Really, it was massively looking towards the team news to see if those key City defenders are available or not. But either way, I think that the handicap of of one and a half goals in City's favour is is quite a lot, really. Um, I know data wise uh, and ratings wise, it will suggest it's, it's the right price and, and the market's never wrong. But um, I just think if you take a step back and, and see what Antonio Conte has achieved with this Tottenham team, particularly in the matches that matter, you know, he's been to the Etihad and won, he's been to Anfield and picked up a point as well when Liverpool were going all guns blazing towards a title challenge last season. Uh, he's got a great record against Pep Guardiola as well. We know that Tottenham have got a, a strong record against City in recent years. Some of it sort of defies belief, really, in how they pulled off some of those victories. But even so, um, I think Spurs can be very competitive in this match. And I think, dependent on those uh, key players in the back, you know, they've got a potential to, to, to turn up and, and get a result, a really good result, because you know the likes of Kane, Kulusevski, Son, Richarlison, um, sort of running in those transitions and counter-attacks against that City defence is, is surely quite a, an attractive proposition for Conte. Um, he'll have studied the performances that City have made, particularly the Newcastle and Villa games where they failed to win. Uh, and I've talked about their accuracy against Villa not being quite right, but against Newcastle, there was a different way to play against Man City and get a result. So, yeah, I was looking at something pro Spurs. You can possibly back Spurs plus two on the handicap. Um, just means even if they lose by one goal, um, you'll still be kind of in the running here for a bet builder. But um, I guess it's kind of combined, I guess, with, with Harry Kane scoring. But both teams to score, um, it's 13 to 20 on the sports book. Just feels like a bit of a no-brainer, really. Um, even if those key players are available, I think. I think Spurs get on the score sheet, but Harry Kane's already in the mix. So uh, I'm trying to scrabble around uh, while we're talking. And, but BTTS is okay. If 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 Emmett's already gone for Harry Kane to score, we can chuck BTTS in there, can't we? Yeah, I, guess, I we can. I think it's just Man City scoring, basically, isn't it? If, if we're backing yeah. Harry, Harry Kane to score. So, yeah, we no can. Stress. I was just looking for something a bit more exotic. Well, well, you do that. While you're doing that, I'll bring Stinch in. Stinch, what have you got? Um, well... Two pro Tottenham angles. I'm quite happy to be pro Man City or pro the cheat code. I think the same bet again, please, if that's okay. Uh, Erling Haaland to score or assist. I know it's only 4-11, to but as I said, we all know his goal-scoring record is phenomenal. But as I mentioned in the Champions League pod, 16 assists over the last two seasons um, from from Dortmund. So uh, he'll he'll be a huge threat, either scoring or or assisting in a goal. So I'd like to check that in. And also... um, I think just worth looking at as a single, you can back um, Erling Haaland to score a goal assisted by Kevin De Bruyne, which has been boosted from seven to two to nine to two. Ooh. Happened already twice this week in, in sort of two similar kind of uh, profile of games, or albeit away from home. Um, I'd say obviously against lesser teams, but at home kind of balances out a little bit. So yeah, it's already happened twice this week. De Bruyne assisting a Haaland goal, and they they look like they're on they're very much on the same wavelength. So that's been boosted to nine to two, did you say, Stinch? Excellent stuff. Mark, did you find something exotic? I, I've not, no. And unfortunately, <laughs> with Stinch taking that option, it kind of just erases both teams to score from the equation because, uh, you know, Mark, if, uh, you, if, you do, 
if you go for your handicap, Tottenham plus two with Harry Kane to score and Haaland score or assist, it comes out at six to one. How does that sound? Yeah, that's fine. I think Spurs can be competitive with or without those City players, but obviously if the Stones and Walker are unavailable, it gives a Conte a really good opportunity to get something out of this game. But uh, yeah, I, I still think that handicap is, is slightly too big. I, I make it more of a, a one and a quarter goal game. So uh, happy to have that, yes. See, people love behind-the-scenes stuff. You've just seen the inner workings of Marco Hare there. Uh, let's dip into the EFL then. Emmett, you've got something from the Championship for us. Yeah, exactly. We've kind of just a kind of a local kind of Lanc- Lancashire derby here where Wigan are playing Blackburn. Wigan are actually two points behind Blackburn, having played a game less. But the kind of underlying numbers would suggest Wigan are kind of, uh, kind of the superior team here and could, could be a bit of value. Wigan have played four of the top six in the championship and expect a goal difference. And they've been pretty competitive. And kind of they've also and their win at Birmingham, who are one of the worst teams in the championship, they had a man sent off after 10 minutes. So that kind of their that, that kind of also skews their XG figure slightly ne- more negative than they could be. Wigan look on, on the stats, kind of a team, kind of a kind of a mid-table championship side, maybe put maybe maybe making a playoff push. Whereas Blackburn are in the kind of are in the relegation zone on the kind of expected goal difference numbers. And, and and really were kind of badly outplayed by Bristol City at home last week. They look a team that are kind of a bottom half side and may, that, that, that might even struggle for relegation. Obviously, they, they do have um, Bren, Ben Brerich and Diaz, Diaz's goals to rely on, but th- this Blackburn team looks quite a poor team. I'd, I'm just, I'd, just look, look at those numbers. I'd wake in closer to even money or a shade of odds on, and they're currently around 2.38 on the exchange, and that looks a bit of value to me. Uh, elsewhere in the EFL, Mark, what do you have for us? Yeah, um, I've got Peterborough playing Forest Green Rovers on Saturday in League One, and I fancy the hosts Posh to get the three points in this game. They are only four to six on the sports book, but you can back Posh to win and over one and a half goals at even money, which feels like a significant leap from four to six to, to evens just to basically rule out the one nil home victory. For Peterborough, um, where you know they tend to do their best work at London Road, they've lost all three away days so far this season. They've taken the lead and lost against Derby and Portsmouth away from home in recent weeks, and supporters have grown frustrated. But um, very much kind of happy to get them on board at home. Uh, they've won all three games since relegation: three nil, two nil, and four nil. Uh, they beat Sheffield Wednesday, obviously one of the promotion favourites, who did have a red card, it should be said, but they completely walked over Lincoln and Morecambe. Um, at London Road, I expect them to do something similar to Forest Green, who did pick up a overdue win against Accrington in midweek, it should be said. Uh, but they conceded 17 shots in that game, and that was only their second win since promotion. And they've looked a little bit off the pace when facing the, the better teams in the league. So you look at their games against Ipswich, Plymouth, Sheffield Wednesday, and I'll chuck Shrewsbury in as well, because I think they're an underrated team with an outside chance of a top-half finish. They've lost all four of those matches, conceding 12 goals. They're now coming up to play a Peterborough team, uh, generating the highest expected goals output in the division so far. Pretty daunting task when you're up against Clark Harris and Marriott as a strikers, two players just too good for the level. So, yeah, expect Posh to get back on track with a, a comfortable home win, basically backing them to win by any scoreline, but it's not 1-0, uh, even money. To La Liga, Atletico Madrid secured a dramatic win in midweek as they edged out Porto. Antoine Griezmann with the winner, a guy who's only allowed to play for half an hour in each game at the moment thanks to this extraordinary clause uh, that he, if he plays fewer than 30 minutes in a certain number of games, Atletico don't have to take up the 40 million purchase option on him. So uh, he's p- playing part-time at the moment. Uh, they've got Celta Vigo this weekend, Stinch. Yeah, another financial bit, a fan, fantastic financial bit of business by Barcelona, right? Um, yeah, uh, it's quite interesting you mentioned Griezmann because he's actually their joint top goal scorer um, already, even though he's only allegedly only allowed to play half an hour a game. And that, that's kind of the angle that I'm looking at here because Atletico lost Luis Suarez last season, who was their second top goal scorer. So I feel like, you know, they're the other than Morata, nobody really else is, is contributing or you can rely on to contribute to score the goals. So quite like the look of a, a low scoring game here and I think the quite the price is quite nice considering it's Letico it's Atletico involved and it's La Liga. La Liga has, has really become an unders league over the last few seasons, um, mainly with the departures of uh, Ronaldo and Messi. 
Um, and you can get under two and a half goals around about 1.85 on the exchange. And yeah, I, I quite like the look of that when you combine the fact that um, 14 of Celta Vigo's last 18 away games have seen under two and a half goals. So there's clearly a template there for how they're how they're playing football. And yeah, if Griezmann's only going to come on with half an hour to go, then um, then it's unlikely that the, the goal expectation should should remain as high as if he was to start. Um, you look at Atletico's uh, last 10 games, so we've got a little bit of spread of this season and last and the end of last season, and eight of them have gone under two and a half. But if you throw Suarez in into the starting lineup at the beginning of the game, um, only four of the last 15 have gone under two and a half goals. So I just think you immediately see if they haven't got a, a recognised guaranteed goal scorer, then the goal expectancy shouldn't be as high as it is. So traditionally, we, we know Atletico is an unders team and I'm quite happy that this profile of, of match fits fits that agenda, essentially. Uh, Mark, you've got a La Liga tip too. Is Cadiz tried to slow down the Barcelona machine. For all we've talked about Barcelona's outrageous lack of a moral compass here and there with the way they've dealt with certain players, they've got a hell of a squad. And Lewandowski looks as though, you know, he's slotted in seamlessly. Hat-trick against Victoria Pilsenia in midweek, scoring goals in La Liga, Dembele's playing well. They're looking quite good. They are, yeah. Um I think it's worth saying they're playing Bayern Munich next week in the Champions League. So I'm expecting them to have uh, a couple of eyes on that match in particular. But I Not think, a couple I of eyes on that. They won't be able to see. <laughs> I realised that when I said it. Stupid <laughs> turn of phrase. Um, but yeah, I guess kind of leeching onto what Emmett was talking about on our Champions League show, the, the squad that they've built, regardless of how they've done it, is it's pretty formidable. And it means even if they are sort of focusing their attention on bigger fish, they're still going to have players to come into that team who are going to be keen to make an impact um, and obviously keen to try and stake a claim for the shirt as well. And the quality at their disposal, whether starting or coming off the bench, is pretty impressive, really. And the way in which they've got down to business since that uh, underwhelming 0-0 draw against Rio on the opening day has been really, really eye-catching. And I think the fact that they've been to both Real Sociedad in, in San Sebastian and, and Sevilla uh, at the Ramon Sanchez Picuain and, and been there and, and just dominated those two teams... You know, traditionally two of the toughest away days in La Liga to go there and generate 5.48 xG across the two games and win 4-1 and 3-0 is probably saying something really more so than what they did midweek which was quite a genteel workout for them coming into this match as well um, so I just think the firepower at their disposal whether Lewandowski starts or not um, is irrelevant really I just think they're just going to overawe a Cadiz team who've had a horrendous start to the season four defeats from four yet to score lost by two goals or more in three of those four the fact that they're averaging just 0.32 xG through those first four fixtures is seriously alarming. And also the fact that they conceded close to two expected goals at home to Athletic when they got trounced 4-0 here in their last home game is is even more alarming. Like No team concedes that amount of opportunities to Athletic regardless of Ernesto Valverde or whoever else is there. So, yeah, serious problems there. They were completely ripped apart by Celta Vigo last weekend. Osasuna have beaten them with room to, room to spare. So absolutely no reason why Barcelona won't go and do some damage. Um, just surprised the handicap you can get Barca minus one and a half at 1.75. Um, I think it's it's pretty nailed on that Barca win comfortably. Yeah, it's mega generous, that price, I would say. Uh, massive Ruhr derby on Saturday. No, not that one. Schalke against Borkum. Uh They uh, haven't won at all between them so far this season. Borkum have been awful. I did stay at the start of the season. I thought they were ripe for the old second season syndrome and they've lost half their squad. Their coach looks very angry all the time. Uh, he was linked with a move to Schalke in the summer. Emmett, this is a really interesting one because they're both pretty bad. Yeah, they are. But it, it looks to me like uh, Bochum are a lot worse uh, in that. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. There's nothing to recommend Bochum. Like they're the worst expected goal difference in the league. They've they, they've lost every match. They've been uncompetitive. Their manager's on the verge of the sack. Whereas Schalke, on the expected goals numbers, they're kind of lower mid table, and there's a few kind of works to make the probably seem look a bit worse than they are. They lost 6-1 at home to Union Berlin, but they actually, on the XG numbers, Schalke at 1.67, and Union, how did Union Berlin manage to score six goals by having 0.75 XG is uh, one of the great mysteries of life. But anyway... It was a weird game. I did that game for the World Feed, and it was a weird game because Schalke looked good in the first half, and there was a spell... 
after they'd equalised, where you thought, okay, well, they've got the crowd behind them, they might push on here. And Renault made a couple of saves. And then there was a deflected goal from Geraldo Becker. And then their heads just went. Uh, and and as soon as that goal went in, and then Harborough smacked one in from long range. So those XG figures, I imagine, for goals two and three would have been mega low. And then second half was just deathly, really. But I agree with you. I think if you look at Schalke's game against Stuttgart last weekend, they were much better, much more energised, much more cohesive. Probably should have won the game, actually. Marius Bulter played really, really well late on. So I think you're right. I think Schalke are in much better shape than Bochum at the moment. Yeah, and even just kind of just on their on their numbers, right? They 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 conceded four expected goals to Cone early on in the season, but they had a but they had a man sent off early on. So I think yeah. there's kind of factors where I think Schalke are probably a lot be- better. The results where I think Bochum are, are simply a terrible team. And just if you're the odds this weekend, you're getting Schalke at a, at a slight bit of odds against the exchange. When I was pricing this up, I was thinking hopefully Schalke might be one point eight here, so be a bet. So I think there's plenty of value there. I think you could see Schalke. You, you, I expect to see Sch- Sch- Schalke short short before kickoff here, and there's, there's I think they're probably probably my favourite bet of the weekend weekend in the in the match betting at around evens. I think Mark will enjoy that game because there'll be lots of people kicking each other. Uh, now it's time for the world famous podcast treble, a feature so revered it's been co-opted by our new prime minister. Truss's treble involves trying to reduce the national debt by putting together successful actors based on the Swiss Super League and the Danish Superliga. And that's where her and Rishi Sunak diverged because he wanted to bet on leagues in Romania and Latvia. Now how this works is that the three guys each have a bet from the weekend's action and our lovely traders like Emmett wrap that up in a boosted treble. I am going to start with Stinch. Yeah, so I'm going to pick one of the bets I put forward earlier, either overs in Southampton or overs at Leicester. I'm going to go with Southampton v Brentford because I just feel both Leicester and Villa are lacking a little bit of fluidity maybe going forward. They're terrible defensively. But I think Southampton and Brentford are both in really good spots at the moment. They can't defend, but they're both good at attacking. So, yeah, Southampton, Brentford over 2.5, please. Lovely start. Mark O'Hare. Can I take Peterborough? Is that okay? Going into uh, League Yes, one? yes. I, I will allow this. That's the power I wield. Yes, I Thank will you. allow you to put Peterborough in there. So that's Peterborough's win, right? Yeah. Yes, lovely. And Emmett, take us home. Yeah, great. No, the- <laughs> now that Mark's gone Peterborough, <laughs> I'll have to request to go Schalke here because I think I've, 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 I'd struggle to find a bet in the Premier. We'd have a, a slightly more exotic uh, bet, for, bet for podcast stacker than usual. Wonderful. The eclectic podcast treble. I love that. Uh, so that's all we have time for, sadly, on this edition of Football Only Better. But we did cover a fair bit of ground for you there. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Lots of quality previews on our website, betting.betfair.com. Plenty of podcasts in the Betfair family. NFL Only Better, Cricket Only Better. Two racing shows. We spoil you people. Racing Only Better and the Wade In podcast as well. Check us out on social at Betfair or at Betfair Racing from Emmett, from Mark from Stinch and from me. It's goodbye for now.